Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we're talking to another legendary musician. I'm so happy about this one. We're talking to bassist Ja Wobble. Uh, ja first came into prominence with Public Image Limited. That's why you're listening to Public Image right here. That's his bass on this. So he only played for the first couple of albums with them, and then he and John kind of had a falling out, and he went off to do other things. And it got rough there for a little while. What you learn in here is that he actually left music for a while. He eventually got sober. Then he went back into it. He started the Invaders of the Heart. He started a, a, a band called Damage Manual with the late great Jordy Walker. There's and he's played with everybody just about. What I mentioned before last week is that he reminds me he is to the bass what I think of Budgie being to the drums, which is that he plays with everybody. For one, you know him when you hear him. I know Jaw Wobble's bass as soon as I hear it. And then thirdly, they pull from influences that are so multicultural, so diverse. There's a little bit of everything in every country and every style in their playing. So Jaw just last year put out like several new projects that we try to cover in here. The main focus is a new solo album called A Brief History of Now. And it's got, a, as you would imagine, a lot of guests on it. He also put out an album called, I think it was Bus Routes of, the, of South London. There's an anthology that came out. He does a project with his kids called Red Mist. He's in a prog like super group called uh, Fusion Syndicate. A couple of years ago, he put out an album called Metal Box in Dub, which is the Metal Box album of PIL done with more dub style with him kind of as the focus that's excellent. Anyway, we try to cover all of this, not to mention there's collaborations with everyone from Sinead O'Connor to Suggs from Madness to Ginger Baker and everybody else in between. So there's a ton to talk about here. I've always loved his playing. I think it's amazing. And these stories are endless. So I hope you enjoy this. He called me from his home, second home in London. Okay, first and foremost, I, I hate starting on kind of a somber note, but we lost Jordy Walker just the other day. And I know you two went back in Damage Manual and probably more than that. What are your feelings about this? Had you Were you still in touch with him? He's like, He was a very nice, very nice guy, uh, very down to earth. Um, I hadn't heard from Jordy for a couple of years, but I, I met Jordy in Cologne. Um, about 1980 when I left Public Image and then ended up in Germany working with Holger Zuke and Jackie Libazade from Cannes just um, a couple of weeks, well, a couple of months, I suppose, after I left Pilp. I was ended up over there and they were working, killing joke, with Connie Plank. So that's when I first met Jordy and he's a very nice down-to-earth guy, you know, very, very... Uh, straightforward fella by the way can you hear a washing machine should i turn that off no no you're fine it's, it's okay yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a guy um jordy very very down to earth kind of fella unlike a lot of people in the music business you know and he wasn't like um from an elite public school as we call them here because you call them elite private schools but we call them public schools so a lot of the fellas are kind of like that i think jazz and um you from you. Killing Joke. I think they're more that background, you know, yeah. that, that sort of, you know, whereas 
Geordie was just off a council estate in Milton Keynes, played Stony Stratford. Yeah. Very funny guy. Into fly fishing, you know. That was really? His, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Huh. yeah. That was his obsession. He was trying to get me into it. He bought me a book on it. He said, this is the book. I'm going to get you this book. <laughs> and, you know, so he's a very sweet kind of guy. Very, um, I don't think he's one of these people. I think he was, I always got the impression he was very happy to be in, Kidding joke to be in a band. He didn't have loads of plans to sort of do stuff outside of that. He was very happy being the guitarist in Kidding Joke. And he'd done damage manual because he said he wanted to play with me, which is really nice. Wow, that is nice. And I and I did damage manual. You know, that came about when Martin Atkins said to me, um, you know, very shyly said to me, Oh, you know, would you send me a bass line? This a that because it was that uh, with some bass lines on. I said, look, you're in the country, right? Fucking hell, you know, we don't need to pussy football. Why don't we just get together and play? Fuck's sake, yeah, you know. And yeah, yeah. um, it, oh, right. And I think it's, oh, okay, you know. Because, um, you know, that with that whole generation of people, there's often bad feeling and resentments. Sure. And with nearly all of them, it's easier to pick out the assholes than the <laughs> easygoing guys, to be honest, you know. Yeah. Like, for instance, Paul Cook. Yeah, great guy, fantastic guy. You know, really easy. Down That's what I've heard. You know, <laughs> yeah, just a lovely guy. You know, so Paul's up just a regular guy. Hi, Paul. How uh -huh. you going? What you doing? You know, as a kid, you know, as a family. You know, you can just have a normal fucking conversation. You know, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of them. It's all really spiky and twisted and bitter and everything. You know, so he said to me, "Oh, right, would, who else would you want to get to play?" And I said, "Well, it's got to be Geordie, really, because." He's got an iconic sound on a guitar, and so we should do something with him. So that was really good. Me, me and Geordie both felt it was going great, that band. We both felt Martin fucked it, you know. Yeah. And I'm still friends with Martin, but sure. we felt Martin fucked it. We had a really fresh-sounding sort of yes. sound, and sonically was really good. And he took it off the two inches, Martin, that was, and put it on through his computer. I wanted to get all a bit control freakish on it, and... One of the references he had was Limp Biscuit, you know, oh. and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, which I, I got, you know, I, you know, I got nothing against, you sure, know. That's but what was big at this the time. Is our, but yeah. yeah, this is our own thing. Let's not overthink it, you know. Yeah. And he couldn't get his head around that. And uh, and the main thing was sonically, you've got at the time you've got it on two inch tape, so yeah. it sounds beautiful. Don't don't take it off of that. We weren't at a stage where you know, you probably if you had a really good. Operator, you know, I guess Audio Logic was going at the time. I'm not sure Pro Tools was. Now, of course, you wouldn't have any problem if you happen to have two inch yeah. tape. You just transfer it to Pro Tools or Audio, and it's sonically just as just as good. A few years after that, there was, or there was even at that time, a system I used called Radar with 24, which was really I could. Everyone said they could tell the difference. I felt I couldn't tell the difference between that and tape. Huh. You know, wow. Um, so anyway, that was the story. Me and Geordie both okay. got fed up with it and uh, and knocked it on the head.
Great songs. It'd be great maybe if Martin's got the original um, tapes to sort of, you know, to which I'm sure he would have to transfer it now onto 24 track and all that and reissue it, you know. Yeah. Um, because whenever I hear it, I always kind of, how can I say it's like um, the difference if you're looking for me, it's like the difference if you take a photograph on a on a on a good iPhone just in the open and sometimes I'll take a photograph on a train for a dirty window and it's just you know to me when I hear it it's just, it just hasn't got that sharpness yes. that the original stuff had but you know but look I've got no I'm still friends with Martin Martin's a good guy Martin Atkins I like him yeah. and uh you know sometimes you have disagreements with people you're making music with but anyway that's why okay. I love playing with Jordy we were very loud People yes. say it's the loudest group they ever heard, you know. So yeah. I, I think I saw Killing Joke finally in concert here. I live in Denver, Colorado, and I finally saw them a few years ago on a reunion tour. And <clears throat> I'm so glad I did. I'd never seen them before. Always loved them. And yeah, it was probably one of the loudest shows I've ever been to. Just and I'm imagining yeah. it's so funny you say that he's a fly fisherman, because I'm imagining the guy behind some of the heaviest riffs in in rock history is out on a lake somewhere in peaceful, quiet, you know, just fly fishing. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was it. Yeah. That was his that, thing. And the other thing I remember, the other thing was he was railed against the closure of railway lines because this country oh, closed yeah. a lot of railway lines. They had a thing called the beach in report, which was in the sixties. It came into action and he still was angry about that. because He was a great <laughs> believer in, Wow. In railways, I don't think I don't think he was a driver. I don't uh, think you know, but um, those are two things. He was he was a, fu a funny, a real character, yeah. a really good looking, a really good looking guy. Yeah. You know? um, oh yeah. As you got older, very sort of uh, distinguished looking. Yeah. You know. So yeah. sad. Look good. Um, well, I I hate to piggyback like this, but let's do it. I mean, um, I yeah. wanted to, I had originally planned before Jordy passed away to talk about your collaboration with Sinead on visions of you. And she was another one who, I mean, a really conflicting, complicated soul, but a sweet soul nonetheless. How did you connect up with Sinead O'Connor? Oh, very simple story. There was a guy, Kevin Mooney, a, another London Irish guy who had been the bass player in Adam and the Ants, mm -hmm. 
It was also the girl, the boyfriend of Jordan from McLaren shop for a while. And he was a real character, Kevin, you know, a bit of a geezer. And he was friends with John Reynolds. Yeah. And they had a band together called Max, I think. And um, and I met John through Kevin. And John was married to Sinead. Yeah. And so um, he got me in. And, and I think he puts he put her up first couple of records together, I think, you know, John. And he got me in to, um, to play bass on one of them. And I met her and got along with her. She's very down to earth, you know. Uh-huh. kind of person and um it's got really got on with her and she really liked my band you know she was very keen for john to join my band you know we invaders yeah. of the heart and um you know she, she was yeah she, she was very yeah she literally loved the music so I, I i she was very happy to come and sing a song for us so i was very lucky to be able to write visions of you yeah. with sinead very much in mind i could hear her voice uh, which great. was a real luxury wondered. you know yeah I didn't know this until getting ready to talk to you. You play on probably my favorite Sinead O'Connor song, which is um, You Made Me the Thief of Your Heart. play bass on that song okay yeah i think it is the one yeah i was terrible it was on the uh i mean you've done so much but it's on the uh in the name of the father soundtrack yeah 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 i I believe it was me you know i can't be so done so many tracks but i think that i haven't and i've not heard it since the time i played oh wow you know Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorites. Speaking of so many tracks, uh, I was getting, <laughs> I thought I had a pretty good handle on what Jaw Wobble's been up to, but there are dozens of things just from this year. I mean, there's the new album, A Brief History of Now. There's the bus routes of Southern London that I want to ask you about. There's the, yeah, yeah. There's the uh, Red Miss, Tame Symphony, Symphony. There's like a career spanning box set or something like that. There is so much. You must know everyone and everyone must want to work with you and you must say yes to a lot of things. Yeah, I just keep working. A lot of it's very sort of egocentric, if you like. It's it's centred on me, you know, what I'm doing, (laughs) Um, you know. um, And so, yeah, and I'm always just chipping away at stuff, you know. Um, What's There's an old Tibetan thing miller rapper some guy i think he said hasten slowly on the path you know so you you know kind of be steady but get to it so i'm always doing something or thinking of something and um 
so yeah the re- the retrospective was just stuff in this 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 yeah. century because yeah. uh, uh, it's the third analogy i've had so every time you have an analogy that's it i've had an analogy that will be it uh, anthology i should say and then yeah. so that's that's the anthology done and then oh my god i'm gonna have a second anthology who would have thought it and this was the third anthology so i don't know maybe there'll be a fourth i don't know um yeah, the way you're going so that, there has to be yeah that was that at the bus route to south london I run a community music venture in South London. I'm from East, the East End of London originally. So South London was, you know, was was kind of the, uh, uh, they used to call it Indian Territory, you know, okay. sort of like, you know, uh-huh. what the hell was that? You know, be careful going through there. So we were, it was very much East End, South yeah. London, you know, especially deepest South London, which is, uh, which is where I'm, uh, you know, was where our community thing is. And um, I do it with John Klein from Susie and the Banshees, yep. fantastic guitarist and he, he, who helped me put Metal Box rebuilt together. Yes, as well. I have and a lot of questions about on, that too here in a second. Yeah, yes. and, and he's on he's on a brief history and now uh, he's he's on uh, he's on yeah. that album. Yeah, you know, brief history and now. You two and, make a great um, pair, a great collaboration. Oh, it works really well. I'm, I'm meeting him after this. We're, we're, we're oh, in good. the studio tonight in the community thing. Yeah, you know, very soon. So. We we kind of work together, and I was, I, and I like walking. I mean, when, when I'm in town, I'm in the west southwest part of town a lot. I walk up by the Thames, and I walk for miles, and then I'll just jump on a bus and come back, or I'll get the bus back from the community thing, you know, when the trains are not working, and I would just sit and make, I get my iPad at the end of a walk or yeah. after working in, just make a track, you know, just sketch a vibe of what I was, a musical sketch of what I'm kind of feeling at that time, you know, because life is so, especially when you've walked, you you kind of get the alpha wave thing going. So there's a very relaxed quality when you you walk a long way. Um, And you just feel very relaxed and and very spacious. So the music tends to be very ambient and spacious and not particularly up-tempo or anything can lean towards being dubby. So yeah, just made this record on the buses and would come home and overdub the bass and stuff on it. Amazing. So it was a very and I, I didn't even really have a serious plan to release it. And then I took a photograph on coming back at night on one of the buses and I took the photograph from the top deck looking out. And so you could see the street but you could also see me in the reflection. Yeah, and I put cover. it up on social media, social media, and everybody, it can't. I knew it had struck a chord. Everybody loved the yeah. idea, this noirish idea of this guy traveling on his own.
himself. At I know the bus is empty. An empty. Yeah, it's an empty <laughs> bus. It was because it was still kind of post-lockdown and uh-huh. London took a long time to get kind of busy. So especially on Mondays and Fridays, people would work from home and yeah. stuff, like I guess in all the major cities. And yeah. so it was just very empty, you know, yeah. um, so the bus would be empty. I'd get on the tube at Wimbledon and the tube was completely no one else on the on the tube, you know. Crazy. You could take a photograph looking straight away down oh. the train. So it's kind of getting busier now, I think, it's yeah. picking up again. When we do the shows, we feel, I feel, yeah, the kind of attendances and the attitude of people is we're back to how it was pre-pandemic. I think it took a while to come out of that, you know. Um, Definitely a little bit of a time, I think. Some people, older people were reticent and they had the fear in them. And now people are more likely just to come out and, you know, have fun. Yeah, it feels normal around here too now. um, I go to a lot of concerts and, and for a while there it was still a little iffy you know smaller club shows especially wouldn't be quite as packed as they had been before but um everything seems to be back to normal now i saw depeche mode last week and it was gigantic and the place it was a huge arena and it was packed to the gills and great show and so anyway yeah Um, yeah so let's talk about brief history of now for a minute this is kind of a return to post-punk in some ways i wanted to ask you specifically about a couple of songs on here that feel as if you're, I mean, you talk about America, so, and me being American, I'm, my ears are perking up to what exactly you're trying to say. Last Exit for one, and then A Brief History of Now being the other. It feels like, especially for Last Exit, it's sort of a critique of people's need to just always be stimulated constantly. ASAP, take the knee, one, two, three, never carefree. Chasing the moon, a veritable boom. On Benny's in a rush into Denny's, hot dog with crowds. There's no doubt, who's the honey with the bright shining eyes? Easy money, and with salacious cries, another love dies. Making friction, making friction, making friction, making fiction. Down in the Lower East Side, and back, jarring clash. Renegade smash, Hershey bar and a fancy car. Turning tricks with fancy licks. You know, and yeah. maybe that maybe you see that as a more specifically or uniquely American trait. I don't know, but I'm curious where you where you're coming from on that. I think broadly speaking, I yes, that's correct. People come out of themselves. There's a lack of inner space, if you like. So people want to be stimulated. I see it very much the Western world, but I yeah. see America as the epitome of the Western world, you know, for better and for worse. So yes. I love America. It's not an anti-American record at all. Doesn't and feel sometimes, that Yeah, and sometimes I love mad stimulus myself. So there's a joy in that, you know. Mm-hmm. So something like love, the track Last Exit, there's a joy in this rush. And a lot of my Elmore 
uh, um, Elmore Leonard or yes. Lawrence Block, those kind of crime writers, you know, this this way of, you know, the, the, you know um, stimulus just coming at you over and over, you know, a lot of it, I've read a lot of American literature as a boy and, and I love that. I love getting lost in, you know, phenomena. This is the phenomenal world and it's just so, and of course the, the American phenomenal world is much more exciting than the, the Austrian phenomenal world, you know, or wherever, you know, just yeah. I'm picking on Austria a bit there, but yeah. you know, so I love it as well. It's like, this is samsara, but it's kind of nirvana as well when you yeah. recognize the emptiness sort of yeah. within phenomena that actually it's just it's a beautiful play of consciousness yeah you know? that's so interesting so, to hear so. you define it that way it's it uh, as a sort of an opposing view brief history of now you talk about god being within you another one where i'm thinking is he is he making a comment on the like christianity of america or is he i know you're a buddhist maybe you maybe you those are these are your beliefs where you come in well, from no, with that no well okay you know all these attacks you know buddhist buddhist is a tag it's you know a, a kind of concept True. there are buddhist seals and i'm a great believer in the buddhist seals so you know all, all uh, phenomena are are suffering and they're unsatisfactory. They lack an inherent self. They're suffering because they're always changing and insubstantial. They're, they're suffering, you know. Uh -huh. And only Nirvana is, is is kind of I don't know how you would describe that being beyond it or or um, coming to the essence of it. You know, um, a lot of Buddhists would say, "Well, that's it. There is no there is no innate." existence in anything so for a starting point for me buddhism is a wonderful way to for me it worked fantastically and still does clears the decks you know it clears it you find you can deconstruct lots of stuff just about everything you can deconstruct all conditioned phenomena whether it's a table this table is made up of components parts which are made up of component parts and the wood is is it, it needed sunlight it needed moisture it needed you know certain kind of minerals in the earth for the tree to grow etc etc you know it's a composite it's not it doesn't have an inherent existence as a table as such it's a relative existence you know um as such um when i speak yeah so it, what you're left with that's where it gets interesting what are you left with are you what are you left with are you left with a thing are you left with a soul? What are you left with? 
yeah. once you've deconstructed everything. And that's where it gets kind of kind of interesting. And I think one thing, if you yearn, you know, as I have done at times, you yearn for a higher power. This is before I I I took refuge as a Buddhist. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you 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 yearn for something and actually to mix religions up a bit, maybe, you know, what you're yearning for in a way, this maybe this indivisible essence is as St. Francis of Assisi said, what you're looking for is where you're looking from. Mm. What what you're looking for is what you're looking from. So that's kind of interesting. Like yeah. Um, but it, that's not to say it's pantheism. I think you've got to be very careful to say, well, I am God. I am of God. You know, you've got to be very careful. Yeah. And of course, we always want to conceptualize everything and harden everything and make a bite-sized chunk out of everything. Yeah, we do. You know. Yeah. And so you know, you've got to be very careful there. But you know, the, 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 you know, I could call myself a Buddhist. Some of them call themselves a Catholic. I'm as brought up a, as a Catholic. Right. I, I like what the the whole thing of the Holy Spirit was was a yeah. great um, help to me. You know, the yeah. formless. This formless, without center, without edge, without color, without form, you know, um, and that's our that I think our innate um, nature is yeah. that, you know. So yeah. we, we, you know, we're not we're obviously not the body, um, uh-huh. you know. We're not we're not we're not a collection of the component parts as a human being, and we're not any single component part. You know, yeah. you know, there's no inherent existence in any single component part. So, you know, where do you go go with that? But, yeah. uh, you know, so it, whatever label anyway, you call yourself a Buddhist, a Catholic, or this or that, there can only be one reality really for everybody. There can only really be, you know, the, the, the same rule must apply, the same ultimate realities, which isn't one or many, I know, it's beyond any yeah. bloody concept, but we must all be that, yeah. you know? So, yeah. so, you know, otherwise you get into the dangerous tr- territory that, you know, me and my people, we know the truth. <laughs> you don't know the truth, so yeah. you're going to hell. But we're, yeah. we're not. We're going to heaven. You know, that obviously gets here. But I don't I don't look down my nose at any of the religions. I do. I get a bit tired with fundamentalists. Yeah. You too. know, obviously, you know, that that gets kind of tiring, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't bother with zealots, zealots too much or yeah. people with ide- ideologues. And whether they're political or religious, actually, yes. you know, they've got yes. this fucking set agenda and they want to force the world into that sausage machine yeah. mentality, you know, yeah. something, you know. Yeah. It's so, I love getting kind of into this, the, spiritual lives of people I have on the show. Sometimes I had kind of an epiphany recently, Jaw, that I, it, I realized that every single, you talk about when you were defining the spirit earlier, I grew up Mormon and I still, I still attend. I'm less, uh, you know, uh, what's the word devout, I guess, as, as, uh, you would say, but, um, so we, I grew up with an idea of what the spirit meant to me, what it looked like, what it felt like, how to mm. define it. And when, and I had an epiphany recently that every human being on earth and probably that has ever lived has had their own idea of who or what God is. And every single one of them believe they're right. And I thought yeah. Yeah. to go back to what you were saying that, how can anyone really claim to know or to have the one 
idea or the truth or the best or the right. When you talk about a spirit, you have one thing in mind. I talk about a spirit. I have another thing in mind. Anyone else listening to this has their own thing in mind. You know what I mean? There's just no yeah. way to wrap your, round around, your mind around a single one empirical truth. So you just have to kind of follow what feels right and let others do the same. Well, I think the one thing that you could say, it, what you could touch on what's true for me and for everybody else is this. My pure awareness, so my awareness of our conversation now, my awareness of the room, my awareness of the awareness, where's everything else about me is different. I'm a different person to what I was five minutes ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. That basic awareness intuitively realizes the same as it was when I was a baby, as it, as it was when I was four or five or six. And it's just that that commitment, the thing I am, yeah. which some people say that we've got now, but I am is the beginning of the bullshit in a way. It's the beginning of going into the world. It's the it's the gathering of the of the of the constituent parts. Just it just starts to form. But I am the a naked awareness that comes kind of before that. Just the awareness before any kind of concept is that's the that's the same it's ever been for me. Uh, uh. So that's the same as when I was five, six, and from that comes an intuition and that must be the same for everybody else that yeah. same awareness it's not colored it's not tainted it's it's pure it's pure and indivisible unblemished and boundless joyous free yeah. you know um but it's not stained it's not you know so that has to be um and that's right under our nose and that to me i started to realize well that's actually the essence of realization, this mythical thing, so many people look for the Godhead, or yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's literally there. Yet again, back a little bit to St. Francis of Assisi, what I'm looking for is what I'm looking for state of awareness. And then, when there's a state of awareness, there's not me, the subject, the gap, yeah, um, the the um, the attraction to the thing or the disappointment in the thing I was attracted to, but now it disgusts me, uh -huh. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's, so that's, there has to be a kind of common kind of ground. By the way, John Klein was bought yeah. up a Mormon. Was he yeah. really? I, you know what? I think I knew Yo, that because yeah. Wayne Hussey has been on here from the mission and he grew up Mormon too. And I think they, did he tell me they grew up together? Maybe I'm wrong, but anyway, that's is Wayne, interesting. Is Wayne from Bristol? Uh, ooh, he might be. I think so. I can't remember. John from Bristol. I think there was okay. a strong Mormon. You might be right. There. Interesting. Yeah. Mick Ronson, uh, Bowie's guitarist, also came up. No. Mormon. Wow. Yeah. And a little bit, John, bit similar to John Klein in a way. Yeah. 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 Isn't that interesting? Uh, so tie this back to music. You talk about I Am. Your song on the album, I Am, I Am, I Am. Talks about, talks about you floating through Tesco. Floating through Tesco's 
Tesco's, but maybe kind of like you on the bus with your phone. I'm imagining you on a, in Tesco's pushing a cart, having some musical ideas about floating through Tesco's. Tell me about that song. Well, let's see. Again, it's very much this thing. Me, I am Tesco's external, but actually, when this when there's this kind of realization. The, the 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 separateness of the situation, the space, uh-huh. it's kind of dis, it dis everything dissipates. So Tesco's dissipates, you know, and you're and there isn't any fixed boundaries. You know, everything feels, you know, yeah. spacious. You know, that's good because that's exactly what the sound the song sounds like. That sort exactly. of spacious yeah. floating otherness. That's great. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. By the way, did you know that yesterday was the forty fourth birthday of Metalbox? No. Yeah, wow. I saw that on social media. I saw actually, I saw somebody say that. I had. Do you know what? I saw the thing. It was this. It came out this day. I hadn't realized it's forty four years. Forty four years ago, yesterday. Yeah. Wow, so, that's a long time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, uh, I kind of just—I saw it. I kind of thought, I don't know, in some vague way, that's thirty. It's thirty-five years ago or something, but yeah. not forty-four. My yeah. God, yeah, yeah, forty-four. I really like your you and John's reworking of the album from a couple of years ago, and I wondered, I, in some ways, I mean. It's I don't I can't I'm, it's not that I like it better but the freshness or the modern crispness to it is a really welcome addition. What made you guys decide to go back and redo it? Oh, it was very simple. Matt Green from Cleopatra. I've done I think I've done a couple of cover versions and they were maybe surprised I've I've done help play on a couple of cover versions of Pink Floyd or something something uh-huh. like that, like Pink Floyd kind of covers or something. And um, and I'd done that via a external A&R guy, but then Matt got in contact and said, hey, would you consider doing Metal, metal Box? I think he thought I'd say, oh, God, whoa, whoa, I don't know. That's a big ask. I, I, I have to think about this. But I said, yeah, yeah. Oh. And because I was already doing some of Metal Box live anyway with my band, Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't have done that if you'd said, would I do metal box stuff in the 90s or the noughties? I would have just been, no, how dare you? There's no, I'm not doing that, you know. <laughs> no way would I have done it. Um, right. I wouldn't have been interested. The same way I didn't play that much dub live in the 90s. I, I was very careful with it, you know, um, because I felt it would come to represent something else. So, you know, the, the crusty kind of white guy, you know, <laughs> 
Oh, you know, sun, oh, you know, dub, you know, like lowest yeah. common denominator music, you know. Yeah. And I, yeah. And so I stayed away from it and I wouldn't have done metal, I just wouldn't have done it. It was too, I don't know, just close to home or something in a weird way or, or right. whatever. And, um, you know, I just, it's too dark. I wouldn't have wanted to have gone there. It was like, you know, it would have had a forbidden, like, aesthetically, no, don't go there. You know, you've moved on from that. Yeah. But then I started just, kind of getting drawn back to doing it a bit. I think we started with something not on Metalbox, Public Image. We did a version of that. It was like a minor key version and this, that, and the other. And then I started to fancy, you know, especially pop tones. I started to think, actually, since you could, I was starting to hear lots of different harmonics in it. Drive to the forest in a Japanese car. The smell of rubber on country tar. Hindsight done me no good. Standing naked in this back of the woods. The cassette played pop tones. made for strings you know yes. and all that yes. so that's so we were starting to do this we were starting to do fodder stomp anyway um there was a belgian band that asked me to play fodder stomp years ago at some big festival and some big famous belgian band had done a, their own version of it anyway and they wanted me to play live on that track and i realized this is fantastic actually and it really uh -huh. is connected with people so i just thought well yeah, actually, you know, we could really do something, you know, with Metal Box and put a couple of the Fodder Stomp and Public Image on as yeah. sort of extra tracks. Um, and all an interesting to start with really was Albatross, Pop Tones and Memories. They were the three yeah. that I felt were flagship. You could really do something with instrumentally. You know? yes. so, so I immediately began that, you know, I phoned John. He was like, oh, God, he was, he was quiet. Oh, God, oh, this is, we've got to think about this. I said, no, I'm going to send some stuff over. So I got on the laptop, did some, you know, the power cord thing that we use on Albatross and strings and Japanese segment on pop tones and sent it over. And John said, fuck, are you serious? And I said, yeah, just do it. It's going to work. And he was like, okay. And then very quickly, that was it. He was just into it. I think he was really concerned that we might, you know, be charged with blasphemy. Uh -huh. You know, when you go and tackle an iconic thing, yes. that, you know, people people would be furious with us. But I just thought, no, this is being done with respect. Yeah. And we've got the benefit of hindsight now. And I've developed musically where you can do you can do two things. You can expand it, yet at the same time honouring the original aesthetic. So you Definitely. can marry the two. So you're yes. not disrespecting it somehow. Yeah. 
you're you're treating it with a real reverence and and i don't especially the lyrics john lydon's lyrics which i always thought they were good that was the most exciting part of it when he would come up with the words and get before the mic and it was really exciting back when we recorded it with the passing of the years these 44 years the, the lyrics just appear stronger and stronger yeah. they're more like um Samuel Beckett or something. They're, they're like pros more yeah. than, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I thought the same thing. When I first saw that you did it, I thought, what an odd, why? What? There was no need. But then when I listened to it, I agree with you completely. It's just a companion piece. It's not meant to replace or overtake or anything. It's just a different take on an album that's beloved. And your versions, your dub versions, your album is is nearly as good there it's just yeah. a matter of mood you know which mood do you want to make speaking of which i have to i've always wondered this my understanding is that you and john and you guys were the gang of johns or something like that there were four of you you and johnny the, gang, john, the four johns the, the four, four johns. johns you him john lyden Sid Vicious, whose real name is John, and then the other guy, John Gray, or something like that? That's right, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. and you all knew each other before you were ever even musicians, and I've always wondered, when they kicked Glenn out of the Sex Pistols, if you were a bass player and Sid isn't, why don't they ask you to join the Sex Pistols? Apparently, it was discussed at the time. I had no idea. I never do, you know, with, with anything, <laughs> rumours. But apparently it was, but I was considered too wild, um, too wild. Oh, yeah, you're too wild. Was, and Sid Vicious is not too wild. Well, I was considered a real handful at the time, but Larry, and it, so it wasn't going to happen. But I think it, it was really a good thing it didn't happen because yeah. I think playing in public image was perfect for me because I was a novice player uh, and I was allowed to play my bass. No one said, oh, don't do it like that. Do it like this or change uh -huh. the key or something. They just liked what I did. And so I was able to naturally develop. You know, it was wonderful. So no one ever sort of, you know, and most of my bass lines were the bedrock of the songs. That's True. how the, 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 the compositions came Ooh. about, you know. I had, I've never thought of that before. If you had joined the Sex Pistols and had to be a punk bass player, which – is not based on musicianship necessarily. You may not be the singular bass player you are today. Or if you were, you may not have found that path or that creative spark until later. You know? That's right. That's correct. And that's so it, I'm very, no one sounds like yeah. you. No one. That's it. It could only uh, it would have only hindered me, wouldn't yeah. have helped me as yeah. personally. And I think them sacking Glenn was crazy because Me too. Yeah. he was the best musician in it. He's a bit taciturn, Glenn, I know, you know, but he didn't deserve it. I he was on here earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, a bit taciturn. I know he can be, you know, a little bit that way, a bit spiky, but he's, he's an okay guy. And the thing is that there's something about the British produced really good, imaginative rock bass players mm. like Paul McCartney, Glenn Matt, not Ronnie Lane, Jack yeah. Bruce, you know, um, you know, this this rock thing where you take McCartney, you know, rather than just do the lazy pedal behind you, the root chord, you know, you use inversions of the chord, you make a melody, a counter melody, yeah. you know, 
And Glenn, when John told me he was in a band back in 75, and I just thought, what? Because no one working class people were in bands at that time, you know. And I just thought it was far out. So he said, do you want to come and see us rehearse? And I thought, this is going to be terrible. And I was already gearing up with I was mad just to be very polite. And I thought, I can't tell him it's, it's terrible, but it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I'll just, but I'll be nice. I'll just say I like it. I'm not going to say right. it's terrible. But then when I heard them, I was very impressed. I thought it was fantastic. And I, I was particularly impressed with Glenn Matlock yeah. because somehow I just knew this is a bass guitar, but he's very musical. He's not yeah. just a component, a, a backup component. Helping the bass, no, you know, he's a no, really he's great. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I've always wondered about that. Speaking of which, can we talk about the appearance on American Bandstand for a second? First of all, I I didn't. I was too young to have seen it in real time. I caught it much later. But PIL is an is an odd choice to even appear on American Bandstand in the first place because that's geared more toward American pop music and dance music. But my understanding is that. Before you guys even went on stage and then caused like total chaos once you were there, you were, I think, taking a nap backstage and Dick Clark came and introduced himself to you and you were and you told him to fuck off because you were having a nap or something. Yeah, it does. It's not something I'm proud of. It's a very rude thing to do. He's guys being nice and he's being professional. But it was too. I didn't have a clue who he was. I didn't know right. about the show because obviously we had our own shows like Top of the Pops, sure. which were pretty crap, you know, basically, you know, music on TV. Similar idea, miming, you know, to a crowd of yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, you know. And it was just the kind of, everyone watched it, and you liked the, you liked the bands that were the most irreverent with the ones you like best, you know, yeah. took the piss yeah. out of it. So I didn't know that. I, I've been, you know, I've been caning it a bit. So I, I've had trouble sleeping. So I just managed to get some sleep. And that was a real uh, triumph to be able to fall asleep. And then he come and woke me up. So I was furious because I just, I was in a medical room. I just wanted to lie down. And it, I thought, what a stupid thing to do. I'm in a fucking medical room. What, you know, why come and wake me? But it was a rude, horrible thing to do. He's just a guy doing a job, you know. So I didn't mean any harm. I didn't know it was a big deal. You know, yeah, I didn't know it right. was a big, huge program. And, yeah, it felt like a strange fit because we were very left field and we had yes. the same trouble in Britain, you know. It was very hard to kind of package feel, you know, for the media. We'd end up kind of biting the hand that fed us, really. So it was, yeah. it was kind of like the self-destructive sort of rather nihilistic sort of element to it all. So, it's no, you know, I've got no worries now because – sure. I'm glad I didn't do anything before public image and I'm glad yeah. that I left when I did because it, everything worked out great with my, it's a bit selfish, but my development as a, as a musician, sure. you know, so that was all good. You know, was there any fallout from that? Like, was it pre-planned for you guys to be so anarchic in that performance? When no, you... not at all. It was completely spontaneous. Really? Yeah. Really? Just, just yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You never knew what was going to happen. So it was absolutely not just very much on the spur in a moment, you know. Uh, so my thing was, right, I want to, John's fucking about, I want to get on the drums. Uh, I want because I want to play the drums. So, um, yeah, we just were completely not bothered. 
I was the same when we done Top of the Pops here. It was like, right, I'm going to be on Top of the Pops, so great. I don't have to play. I can mime. I don't have to worry about staying sober. I, I can go to makeup and get my teeth blacked out. So it looks like I've had my teeth knocked out. So I was grinning at the monitor and all that. And I wanted to have a black eye. They said that was too much. Oh, okay. And um, so it was just fun. And that was a great thing with Pill, especially the early days of Pill. There was yeah. a wonderful, natural spirit to it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. That was really, 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 really nice. I think John had that as well at that time, you know, early doors. London, working class, not taking things too seriously, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, and all that. So it was a um, very nice thing, you know. Fascinating. So, okay, so I have to know, when you step off stage at American Bandstand, does a producer just ball you guys out? Does Dick Clark even say anything to you? Or does anyone yell at you or get mad? Yeah, it's funny. I've had a few, you know, I had a thing on later, which is a famous music thing show yes. where I think I'm sort of unofficially banned from. Really? And, um, oh, no, I yeah, saw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're great on yeah, that. Yeah, I've got, I was unofficially, yeah, because I wouldn't play along with the, the, the guy that presents it. Julian. You're supposed to play along with him, Jules. Jules, Holland. Jules Holland. Yeah, and, and I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't play along with it. It was like, well, I'm sorry. Like, I know this is the new format you want, but I'm not going for it. The great thing was his producer said that when they started the show, they thought most musicians wouldn't want to go along with that format. Mm. And they said I was one of the few that wouldn't have it. Most people were really happy to go along with it, just really? to be on telly, you know. And I thought, well, more power to me. You know, I'm quite happy with yeah. that. Um, you know, so um, I've had that thing where, you know, people are just really upset with you and they <laughs> want you off the premises, but no one really, you know, no one really comes up and says anything to you. They, they're a bit too... I remember saying in my book about later, I really wanted the producer to come up and say <laughs> something, but, but, but he wouldn't come up to me and say oh, anything. Man. You know, they go and bitch to the record company instead, yeah. you know. The promo people, I couldn't give a fuck. And I still don't. I mean, that's my attitude. I'm not beholden to anybody. Yeah. I've been able to do what I wanted to do. I left Pill. I left, um, you know, the, the, the corporate world of music in the 90s. I didn't have to hump with any of the people at the record company, Island Records at the time. I just felt that's it. I've had enough of this now. I'm going to go and form my own label and live and, you know, kind of, you know, I'll either prosper or not, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have faith in myself and yeah. and the music actually. I'm gonna have faith in the sound and the music and yeah. you know I'm I'm not gonna be beholding to you know worrying about not offending TV producers or something. Fuck that as yeah. my attitude. It still yeah. is, you know. I can't be asked with it. Yeah, I'll be nice with people and get along with people, but you know, I, I'm I'm actually serious about the music. You know. Yeah, obviously that's true. What? Why did you leave PIL? Did you and John get in a fight or something like that? No, I got really, really upset. Yeah, I got really fed up with John. I just got completely fed up with... He's um, a handful. <laughs> well, I just got fed up with... I thought the behaviour with him and Keith was really bad. I didn't like yeah. their behaviour. I didn't like their attitudes. I thought we got really mean and nasty to people. Um, I didn't like the way the business was run, so it was yeah. getting very hard to to get my weekly wage. Yeah. My initial lot of um, publishing was signed over to Public Image Limited, so that just went into a kind of a hole. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really fed up with it. Um, and so for, for, for quite a time, all I did was, for, I was fed up with it for quite a time, getting more and more fed up with it. And I just waited till we'd gone to America. And then, uh, you know, I really wanted to come to America, especially New York. That was the centre of the universe at the time, you know. And, um, you know, which I did, which was great. And I come back. The cash was kept in a shoebox in a cubbyhole of a downstairs headquarters. So I went and claimed the the shoebox full of high denomination notes and come back to America and hired a Thunderbird car. Really? Which was lovely, yeah, yeah. And and went coast to coast, you know. Thunderbird, that's like Smokey and the Bandit. That's great. Is it? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's Thunderbird. Yeah, hired a Thunderbird and absolutely loved it, yeah. yeah. Oh, good for you. You did it right. Because everything in Britain which was was shift stick, you know. Yeah. It was stick gear, you know, so it was an automatic. I fucking loved it, man. It's great. That's great. AC, yeah. AC is the best. Uh, okay, speaking of after PLL, PIL, and then you do your solo album, Betrayal, which is great. Um, didn't eventually you just have to go back and get a regular job? Like working at a, uh, at a the tube station or something like that? That was years later. I can't, I can't oh. blame that on Peel. Yeah, I, oh, okay. So I left Peel. I worked with Holger and Jackie. I worked with Francois Kravalki and the dance mm-hmm. producer. Mm-hmm. Um and and started Invaders of the Heart, um, started a record label. Everything was going really well. But I, when I left Pill, I stopped taking the powders. powders. Um, so I stopped. But then um, in 1983, I started, after I left, I started taking the powders again. I was drinking very heavy. And so by about 84, I was really getting into trouble. 85 people were telling me, you know, I kind of went, you know, it was quite extreme. And so I stopped in 1986, got clean and sober at that time. I still am since then, October the 23rd, 1986. And, um, And then I started, you know, the long, you know, journey back into music. I never stopped playing music. I never stopped listening to music. In fact, as I stopped drinking, halfway through an album, I stopped drinking. So there's a an album called Psalms. Half of it recorded drinking, half of it sober. It's quite <laughs> weird, actually. Yeah, and um, you know, and it's uh, it actually really um, really uh, pre echoes a lot a lot of the music that was to come in yeah. in the next few years. It was Fast. you know some great tracks on there. Some great tracks yeah. on there.
the music business wouldn't touch me with a barge pole at that time because I yeah. had such a terrible reputation. So I got a job, first of all, courier driver, like a van, and then I got a job on the subway. I was on I was a tube, I was on the underground in London, which I loved. And I did that for a while, but it you know, I was still doing gigs and tours, but part-time. Uh-huh. And it was wasn't either, but then it got to about 19, going into 1990. We'd done an album already without judgment. I'm working part-time and, uh, I'm, you know, I work doing the music part-time. And then I decided, right, that's it. My marriage split up and um, I thought, that's it. I'm going to give this a year and I'll either have a proper contract and be really rolling or I'll jack it in and I'll retrain. I'll do something yeah. else. And at the yeah. time, my attitude was, this is, okay, God, this is yeah. down, you know, I'll let you decide, you know, what the will of yeah. God. And, you know, guy I talked to in AA was very close to me, you know, at that time. He said to me, uh, do you believe in God? And at the time, my attitude is, yes, I believe in God. Uh-huh. Um, and he said, you believe that God gives you your talents? And I said, yes. And he said, well, don't you think God would want you to use the talent that he's given you? Mm-hmm. Which suddenly made it seem very simple. He said, do you think your talent, he said, do you believe them? Do you, do you believe you're talented? And I said, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do believe that. I've got something to offer with music. And he said, well, don't you think God wants you to use those talents? So it was a really simple, neat. That okay. says it all right there, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. And so I, I got to it. And within, within two or three months, we had a major deal. That's great. Oh, it's you great. Know. It's yeah. so even great. That, even that, even that wasn't, like that. it was just so simple. And, even getting that deal wasn't easy. The guy said to me at the record company, how much do you need? And I said, well, we're going to need about £80,000 you know, to, to do it properly in the way it needs to be done. It's about 80000 quid. And um, he, okay. And he sent me over a contract and the advance was 2500 quid. And it's like, right, you're just, I just ignored it. Yeah. Because I thought you're just trying it on. It's typical music business. I'm just I'm not even gonna take it seriously. So he got out, he got back to me, he said, Oh, you never got back to me. And I said, Oh yeah, because you 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 ignored what I said. Yeah. I said what I said for it. So he then come back and said, Oh, okay, we've got a backer. There you can have your advance. So we were rolling. Oh. And um so that all then, you know, it worked. And wow. So, you know, so we we rolled and we fell out, eventually fell out with that that those people within that person within a couple of years went to art back to Ireland records, which was great stayed there for three years or so. And then decided they wanted to keep me on, mm-hmm. you know, they wanted me to get rid of everybody around me at that time, which was fine. I could actually see, you know, the cycle had come to a close. I could see why they would take that view. I wasn't upset or anything, but I but I decided I was doing so much left field sort of stuff mm-hmm. that I wanted to start a label. So I started a label, moved out of London, raised a family, you know, uh, and all that. Yeah. And um, you know, I remarried in '97. Um, got two boys who play with me now. They read. They make the Red Mist is their album. Oh. You know. I was going to ask you. Yeah. There's a song out there called Dim Sum. It's John oh, Wobble's Charlie, family. Yeah. Is that one that's of your my kids? Family, yeah.
That's my yeah. That's with all the that's that's the, that's my wife and my two sons. No way. On that I love that yeah, song. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice song. It's Charlie's doing a rap. He works under the name GZTN for uh -huh. his rap stuff. But Charlie Wardle, John, they're my sons, Charlie John Wardle, uh, Charlie Wardle and John Wardle, and they're in Red Mist. So the Red Mist album is that's their album. I, I play bass on it. You know, they're yeah. my sons. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they got. A, and they they got a trio with my wife as well, so they do traditional Chinese music. So okay. we did a we did a show in Leeds and Ma Leeds and Manchester last week, and they opened this the night with playing. You know, it's like a, it's like including their set. It's like a three and a half hour set. I played for two and a half three hours every night because the people here they won't let us leave the stage. So there's always issues with curfews. Uh huh. And, uh huh. People saying, no, you've got to finish. You've yes. got to finish, you know. Yeah, you know. Yes. And, uh, you know, so it's always an issue with curfews because people love the show, you know. Oh, good for you. What a good position to be in. I want to ask you about some of your other collaborations real quick. Tell me about the Snake Charmer album that you and Holder... Francois. Yeah, that was Francois. That was how... And The Edge is on this album. And I, That's from right. you too, yeah. which is an odd pairing, but I'm trying to... This would have been, I think, around U2's war period, probably, 83. So they hadn't, you know, gone into the stratosphere just yet. But how did this album happen? Francois Kabalkin had the ear of Chris Blackball. Chris wanted to sign Pill for America around the time, you know, that we, you know, we first got together. He was very keen. I was bitterly disappointed when we didn't go with Chris in America. Yeah. Um, so when I did How Much Are They, that was on Ireland. That was with, and that's when I first met Holger and Jackie from Cannes. You know, Jackie's yeah. like him. Best drummer I've ever known. He's incredible. Can's incredible. He's a master musician. Master yeah. musician. So I got to know them. And then Francois Kabalkin approached me, Frankie K. He approached me and um, he he had this idea to make an album. Chris Blackwell was, was, you know, 
prepared to back it. So I had a, a chat with him about who would get on it. I wanted Holger. He was very keen on that as well. He remixed U2, so he wanted the edge on it, which was fine. Wow. So he got the edge in. And, you know, so the first time I met the edge, the edge come down and I'm sent to Francois. And another fucking thing, blah, blah, you listen to me. So I'm, I'm shouting at the producer. And I, Edge comes, I say, oh, sorry, mate, I like you. I'm not, no, I'll be with you. Just <laughs> let me finish this. So I kind of like shouting at the producer some more. And then, and then he said, right, nice to meet you. You know, <laughs> being a fucking. Edge is like, what bit, did I just get invited into? Yeah. And, and, and I probably was being an arsehole. You know, Francois was probably within his rights. I'm complaining uh-huh. about something, you know, not being loud enough or something bullshit. And, and to be fair, I learned a lot. From you know, Francois was very um, disciplined producer. Yeah. It all made sense, you know, what he was doing. You know, let me just charge this as we as we talk. Otherwise, when I go out in a minute, I won't have any charge. Oh sure. On the uh, on the phone, should have been. I just have a couple but... questions left. Is that okay? Absolutely okay. fine. You good for yeah. a few more minutes. Okay. I, I, yeah, uh, I'm good. I'm good for another twenty minutes or so. Okay. So okay. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the Middle Passage album with Ginger Baker. I love that well, album well, too. What? How did this even happen? So in that period I just talked about when I'd stopped drinking yeah. and I was working part-time in music, so I was still touring, still doing gigs, still making records, but I was needing to do straight work still. Um, and that was 89. I went over to America. I borrowed money off the guy that went on to managers. I'd never borrowed money before or since to go and do anything, to go to America. Uh, for this New York music seminar, which was this big thing. And I um, I managed to sell on the very last day the rights to, to, to do a licensing deal on this Without Judgment album, which we've done, which is a pretty deep album, actually, which we've done in Holland. And while I was there, I weeks before that, months before that, I had sent a tape to Celluloid, possibly in France even, their French office, not their American office, but Celluloid, the label, uh-huh. Bill Lasbo and all that. And I used to joke to Francois, the guy I want to work with is Bill Lasbo. He's the producer I should be working with, just because I've been aware of Bill from the get-go. Yeah. And it was a bit of a nasty thing to say, because I say yet again with Francois, he's a good guy. You know, He's uh-huh. a good, very good producer. I knew what he was doing, very professional, very disciplined, very focused and methodical. And... Um, 
So I've sent this cassette off of without judgment, I think. So there I so it must have been months before. And eventually Nicky Scopolitas, the guitarist, had found the this cassette in a box at celluloid and got in contact with me. So he phone he, he con tries to contact me. I'm actually in New York where Nicky is. He's thinking he's got to call me in London. So he left a message. I called him, but I'm in New York. Oh. So it's incredible. So we I went and met him. We had a, a lunch, I remember to this day, fantastic Greek food in Astoria, Queens. And um, he asked me what my favourite album was. And I said, it's Miles Davis, Dark Magus. And it turned, he said, wow, that's Bill's favourite album. And not many people were into electric period miles at that time. Yeah. So Bill's like, hey, we've got to do something with this guy. So I don't think I even met Bill on that initial trip. But they brought me over three months later to play with Ginger Baker. I, there's a lot of shit I can't remember. Oh. I remember that. I remember the flight. There was no drinks. So, so I mean, I couldn't even have a coffee because there was a hurricane. The plane flew oh, over. Oh, interesting. So it was like this. I loved it. I just remember the plane. I was at the back uh -huh. of the plane. The plane just going up and down. You could see the whole thing. And I was like, Oh, this is nice. You know, <laughs> you know, this is this is nice. When it kind of falls, you don't like it, but when it's this, uh -huh. it's like, oh, rock, rock a bye, baby. You know. Uh -huh. See, there was no I'd never known that. It was like it's, for hours they couldn't serve any 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 drinks, any waters even. Everyone had to be strapped in. Wow. Got to they put me in a nice hotel run by these really friendly Hindu people. And you you feel you've got that glow. It's that moment of walking through Tesco's and Tesco's fades away. <laughs> there it is. I'm in this Hindu thing. In the mall, I'm having a shave. And as I look down, there's a mouse standing on my foot, just looking up at me in the hotel. And it's like, <laughs> wow, this just feels so right, you know. And it really, really did. The mouse looked up was on my tongue and it just felt, I mean, this Hindu hotel, it all just feels right. And so I got they. I didn't meet Ginger at that point because I wasn't allowed to meet him. They felt it could be too uh -huh. explosive. So they felt we were too similar maybe in personality. They felt okay. it wouldn't work. So we didn't meet. But I played on the album and it was all good. And I met Ginger finally years later. And that was really crazy. So you're on the album, but you don't you didn't actually meet him or be in the room with him. Bill Laswell. And the others wisely kept us away from Ginger. Probably. They felt it would it would it would be explosive. And yeah. I understood why years later I was introduced to Ginger in Japan. He was playing with Bill. We were on a package tour together in Japan, doing some shows. And uh, I was introduced to him. And I was introduced to him at the this big hotel complex where you got all restaurants and stuff. And I like I love Japanese food and Chinese food and all that. But I'm I'm an ex kind of alcoholic you know ex, uh -huh. I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic as they call it with you know recovering drug addict so i like my sugary things uh -huh. Uh -huh. still to this day i like my sugary things i shouldn't sure. you know but i do i still like sugary things uh -huh. and so i went off to get my hit of sugar at the western dessert section and ginger's there as well we get into jostin because ginger's the same as me he's looking for his hit of sugar so I order apple crumble, he orders rhubarb and custard. You know, I order apple crumble and custard, he orders rhubarb and custard. And we're having a nice chat, which is two London geezers. He knows I'm – you don't mind me swearing, right? No, 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 no. 
You know, yeah. Well, he knows I'm not a cunt, and I know he's not a cunt. He's a geezer, so he's not a cunt. It's fine. So we're not going to, you know, have any argy-bargy. We're just having a talk, like, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. No messing uh -huh. about. They bring in, I think, treacle, not rhubarb. Now, most people would say, oh, excuse me, especially English people. So, excuse me, I'm so sorry to English people. The I'm so sorry. I ordered rhubarb. He, uh -huh. he went, what the fuck? <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? Got to rock me. And that is just it, what you, you know. think Ginger is going to do. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, oh, no. You know, this <laughs> horrible, ugly scene where all the Japanese people are crying and bowing. And, uh -huh. oh, man, you know, and I was say in the end, like, enough, enough, stop <laughs> bowing to him. And you just fucking stop shouting, you know. And uh, that was it, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, anyway, that was ages That's ago. Great. You know. That is great. Um, so he's a real character. You yeah, know. You can tell. I love when I saw his. I've never seen a documentary that starts with the protagonist, the subject of the documentary, breaking the jaw, I believe, yeah. of the video director with a mic stand or something, yes. camera stand. It's like yeah. fucking hell. That's fucking mental. You know. <laughs> Um, oh so you're a proper God. character, but yeah, he was fine. We got we got we got on after that, you know. It, he was fine, you know, and it was all good. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's how we done that's how, okay. that's how that. And we recorded that was recorded that album in an ex Cannonball Factory. Must have made for the uh, Yankee really? Army in the Civil World War. Cannonball Factory, yeah, I remember that. Uh, they said, yeah, I don't think that album was great. They made cannonballs there for the Civil War. Yeah, yeah it's a good album. Yeah. Fascinating. Now, one that I didn't know about until getting ready to talk to you is Suggs's album, The Three Pyramids Club. You play with, yeah. is this another situation where you're not actually in the room with Suggs? You just are brought on later? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Three Pyramids Club. <laughs> No, he got no subs. It's lovely. No, he got me down there. I think we done that at um, the Fallout Shelter in. Um, is it called the Fallout or the Summit Shelter in in Hoxton? You know, wow. there was a studio in Hoxton. Pretty sure, pretty sure we did it there. It was him and I think the keyboard player guy from Madness. I think. Oh, Mike Barson. I think so. Yeah, it was. Okay. Was one of the other musicians who'd been in Madness, yeah. Okay. Sure. It was a long time ago now, you know. Yeah. Huh. That album is fun. I didn't even know it existed until getting ready to talk to you. And then what about Saffron? Yeah. I mentioned I talked to Saffron. Oh, yeah. That's right. Ago, yeah, we've she... done, some, done some pop. I remember playing on a pop single with her. Yeah. Thing with her it's called and, uh, World um, of yeah. You. 
Yeah, that's right. It was a good little. I thought it was a good little pop single. It didn't get anywhere. Any time I dabble with pop, it dies. I'm the kiss of death. <laughs> Don't get me into do it. It 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 will die a death. And the same as um as uh with film soundtracks, you know. Ah. I, I'm, you know, it, it will just it'll be it won't be a very good film. The music will be good. Uh -huh. The music will of course. be good. We know the music's going to be good. Uh, but somehow the, 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 the film, the, the film, the, the movie is stink, probably. Okay, you know? okay. That's hilarious. All right, last bit. What is the Fusion Syndicate? When I look you up on Spotify, there's all these songs by the Fusion Syndicate. Oh, it seems to be what? you it's and fanatic. Chester Todd. I really like the Rick Wakeman one. I.O. or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what is yeah. it? Well, it's amazing. It's through Cleopatra again, to be fair. You know, you just don't get records made like that anymore. Yeah. It's amazing. So they've um, got um, yeah, Chester, Chester Thompson, um, Rick Waitman, the guy Poland. Is it Mike from um, what's the group? Oh, what's the group? Megadeth. Is it Megadeth? Oh, Chris Poland. Okay. Yeah, Chris Poland, I think it is. Um, so there's a lot of like Fernando, the, the guitarist yeah. out on the West Coast. There's a whole bunch of uh, Bootsy Collins is on the track. There's all sorts of people. So it's a real old school. Feels I like a lot of it is you and like Chester that Thompson. Since... That's right. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Of... And he sent over a rhythm, and I thought, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> this is I can't." You know, and it was it was seven and a half beats per bar. Wow. Seven and a half beats per bar. Um, which is like, wow, fantastic. So I haven't made stuff like that since the 90s. With The last records I made like that were in the early noughties, and even then you knew it was going out of vogue with Bill Laswell when yeah. he made like um, Radio Axiom with Nils Petamolvar. Petamolvar. <clears throat> and uh, and people, who's the, the lady from uh, uh, Art Ensemble? Oh, I forgot my no, name. I don't know. Uh, Amina, Amina, Amina Claudia Myers, great player. Okay. She's, you know, so it's lots of great players, great players, and people would fund, it was Chris Blackmore again, would fund these left field records with great musicians on. I mean, I was at home. That's where, of course, it was one of my albums, but we recorded with Pharaoh Sanders, you know. Oh, yeah, you know, there you go. Yeah, you know, so that was that was one of the high points of that. So I played, it was a joy, you know, um, the keyboard player from Funkadelic. I can see his face. Bernie Worrell. Bernie Worrell, yeah, yeah. You know, um, some great, great musicians. I was very lucky yeah. with these great American musicians, especially. It was a privilege, you know. And wow. now, if you would said to me a year or two ago, I, you know, or at any point you'll make a record with Rick Waitman, Chester Thompson, I'd be like, oh, man, look, those days are gone. You know, right. you, no one's going to fund that, and yet they're doing it. Yeah, and that's yes. down to Brian. That's down to Brian at Cleopatra. You know, the oh, owner. It's great. Yeah, it's really. Because you're not. You're not. You're probably not going to make money with that. So I thought for me to say, and no one's mentioned it, but it, you're probably not right. going to make money from something like that. So you're doing it for the love, and to me, that's great. You put something back, and it's wonderful to see a rental company put something back, you know, and be aware of a legacy of musicians. Yeah. You know, I fantastic. mean, let's be honest, the live shows that could happen from this would be epic, but I'm guessing 
nothing like that would happen or could happen? I don't know. Well, I think we're supposed to be coming over next year, me and my band. Really? And John Klein. Yeah, 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 I believe nice. in the spring. It's not not been nothing's been announced yet, but that's the plan. Okay. So who knows what happens from there? Okay. Well, if you come through Denver, I'll be there. Um, yeah. John, I thought you were special for a very long time. Thank you for chatting with me. I um, Thanks, John. No one sounds like Jaw Wobble on the bass. Nobody. Thank And you. uh, yes, you're a massive. Well, I'll be playing tonight. I'm playing tonight just a community thing, and I'll be playing 110% as usual, you know, um, for the community thing we do. So it's just, it doesn't matter. I think the people there were like, wow, you give a fuck. It's like, if I pick up the fucking bass, That's doesn't right. matter who I'm with or where I'm with, I'm not fucking about. So it'll be, you know, so in about, Half an hour, I'll have the bass in my hand with John Klein at the controls Crazy. and doing this thing, Crazy. yeah. With a Oh, guy, you're the a, best. a, he's a guy. We have all kinds of people come through the community place. Some people, you know, are homeless, you know, Uh-huh. and some people are working and they're, you know, got occupations. And you know, tonight he's a lovely guy. He's a it's funny, you know, the last session was with a couple of people, they're all from the same mental health drop in center. Playing with lovely people, great players, great players. The guy tonight is is a top guy at one of the top financial institutions in Really? the city of London. Yeah, but he's a guy. Hey, reminds me of Walter Lure. Do you remember the heartbreak? I didn't know. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know what happened to him over this, and found out he, I think he's passed away now. He'd Yeah. become a top financial guy on Wall Interesting. Street. It's incredible. Wow. I mean, really, a top guy made it cleaned up, made a lot of money. Apparently, Yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. Fascinating stuff. Well, thank you, John. John. Thank I'll let you, you my know. friend. You bet. I'll let you know when this comes out. I'll send you the link. If you feel like sharing it with your fans or whatever, please do, okay? I will do. I will. Okay. John, love you to chat. So, yeah. Thank See you, you, sir. mate. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. There you have it. Jaw Wobble. Pretty pleased with that one. Another legendary musician talked to us. I am so proud. I'm so glad that that happened. Now, a few minutes ago, you heard us talking about that group, the Fusion Syndicate, specifically a song called I.O. This is it right here. Rick, Rick Wakeman is on this. It's so fascinating. I mean, if you want to go down a fascinatingly diverse rabbit hole, just pull up Jaw Wobble on Spotify. Start at the top, and it's an endless stream of interesting music. It never ends. So fascinating. Uh, now, I've got to say a huge thanks. We had a guest producer again this week. Ryan Murphy stepped back in. And thank you, Ryan, for doing so. Yan was busy. So I'm so grateful to any of the other podcast producers who step in and help us out. It's so comforting to know that there are people like Rob Disner or uh, James Milton or Ryan, obviously, or Mike Wagner or sometimes Ken Mills. who are on the bench and can step in occasionally and fill in. We are so grateful for you guys, seriously. Um, now, next week, I've mentioned that we were done with the Brits, basically. We've had four weeks of Brits. The next few weeks, we're going back to America. And next week, we're talking to the voice behind one of the biggest and most enduring one-hit wonders of the 70s, early 70s. That's what we're talking to next week. Uh, I'm pretty happy about this one, too. So, gang, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, X, barely, at thehustlepod. As I mentioned before, I've, I've deleted the 
X or Twitter app from my phone because I was just doom scrolling too often. And so it, I'm still on there, but I'm not responsive hardly at all because I'm hardly ever on there. So anyway, try it though. I, I still use it to communicate with many of you. Also, there should be another bonus material or a bonus episode coming out this week, probably a book club, a big one, by the way. Um, anyway, we're just continuing on doing what we do. All right. Thanks everybody. We love you.